0: April 4th, 1933. It's just after midnight off the coast of New Jersey. The USS Akron, a helium-filled U.S. Navy airship, is flying above the Atlantic Ocean, assisting in the calibration of radio direction finder stations. On board are 76 men, including Navy Rear Admiral William Moffitt. The Akron has been flying through severe weather for over two hours when it is hit by an updraft, followed immediately by a strong downdraft. The Akron struggles to maintain control, but hits the ocean and breaks apart. Was this accident avoidable? And how did this incident shape the military's view of aircraft? Find out on this episode of Black Box Down. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of Black Box Down. Uh, I'm Gus and I'm joined once again by Chris. How's it going, Chris? Hi. So uh, I know every week I feel like I say, this is an unusual one, but this one is. This week we're doing something a little out of the ordinary. We're covering uh, a military incident about an airship. So it's not even a plane. Like a blimp? Yeah. Well, that's actually a really good question. There's a difference between a blimp and an airship. Uh-huh. So uh, a blimp has its shape because of the amount of gas inside of it. Kind of like a balloon, right? Yeah. An airship has a rigid frame that acts like a skeleton and gives it shape. Oh. So yeah, this was an airship. It had like a solid metal frame inside of it. And then that's what's filled with the helium that allows it to travel.
1: So like the Hindenburg, is
0: it is that an airship or a blimp? That was an airship. Okay. So it's like similar to the Hindenburg. So... This is what they call lighter than air travel because you're using either helium or in the Hindenburg's case, like you mentioned, the hydrogen, using this this, uh, gas that's lighter than air that can lift things up. So Mm -hmm. like this idea, it's not a new idea, honestly. Like the idea of lighter than air travel started back in 1670. There was a a Jesuit father named, we're gonna get into history first. (laughs) There was a Jesuit father named uh, Francesco Lana de Terzi who published a description of an aerial ship but it took over 100 years for it to like actually become reality and made. When in 1783, the French Montgolfier brothers successfully flew the first hot air balloon. So that's another example of lighter-than-air travel those hot air balloons.
1: So hot air balloons were way before planes.
0: Yes, that's uh, 1783. And you know the, the Wright brothers uh, flew the first fixed-wing aircraft in 1903. Yeah. So, I mean, definitely a couple hundred years earlier. Hmm. So, you know, when you think of blimps, like, you know, we talked about the Goodyear blimp and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm sure you think of like this... Like this iconic cigar shaped blimp, right? Cigar shaped? Yeah, you know, kind of like long. Yeah, I guess that seems like a hot,
1: that's like really long. I was thinking more like a definitely oval, like a long oval, right? Yeah. But not like cigars like super long. That's like, that's okay, it's
0: like fat. It's like okay. a, <laughs> a stubby cigar. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's still, yeah, yeah. A half
1: smoked cigar. How's that?
0: Sm- okay, okay, there you go. So that idea for that shape of blimp was introduced by an Australian named William Bland when. He displayed a model of his, he called it Atomic Airship, uh, at the Great Exhibition in London in 1851. And uh, the, the next year, in 1852, Henry Giffard became the first person to make an engine-powered flight when he flew for 17 miles in a steam-powered airship. So, like, now, they're, at this point, they've they've advanced. You know, they're putting, like, engines on it to try to control the direction it's going in instead of just relying on the wind. Yeah, So then uh, a couple decades later in the 1890s, this is an awesome name, by the way. I want everyone to write this one down. (laughs) In the 1890s, Count Ferdinand von Zeppelin, (laughs) he began working on designs for a rigid airship. And in July of 1900, the first Zeppelin, the LZ-1, made its flight. So this is where the word Zeppelin comes from. It was a, a guy's name. Wow. Over the next several years, many people began experimenting and creating airships of their own. And during World War One, airships were used for scouting uh, and also sometimes used as bombers. You know, but, you know, they were super inaccurate and they were vulnerable to attack. But still, it was terrifying, right? You know, people are fighting on the ground and it's like this giant blimp is throwing bombs at them from above. Yeah.
1: And that's World War One because there's... Yeah. Yeah, so there's like not really planes at that point in the military, right?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, they did exist and I'm not going to get too deep into it, but military planes did exist. Like if you think about the Red Baron, that was World War One. Oh, okay. Uh, so at first, at the outset of World War I, uh, fixed-wing aircraft were primarily used for scouting, and the pilots would sometimes carry pistols to shoot at other planes. And then <laughs> as the war progressed, they eventually started mounting machine guns to those planes. Uh, it's actually really interesting. Maybe we could talk about it sometime. But the way that the timing mechanism worked, because oh. the machine wouldn't have to fire through the propeller.
1: Yeah, yeah. They, I remember someone telling me about that, where, yeah, it's like they had to uh, – because the machine gun kept shooting the propeller down, so they had to, right. like, figure out a system where the bullets would only fire when the propellers were like in it was between. Clear. Yeah.
0: Yeah, initially I think they would put like thick pieces of wood on the propeller to try to protect it from the bullets, but it, down the road they they timed the the chain so that it would shoot only when it wouldn't hit the propeller. Anyway, that's a tangent. We can maybe some other time we should talk about like the history of military aircraft cuz I think that's interesting. I don't know as much about that as I do about civil aviation, but I do know a little bit. Anyway, okay, tangent over. Uh, after World War One, more countries started developing more airships, but Germany was not allowed to build an airship with a capacity greater than one million cubic feet uh, per the conditions of the Treaty of Versailles. You know, since they lost World War One. Yeah. So, for reference, you know, Germany was not allowed to build an airship. Like I said, an airship with capacity more than one million cubic feet. The ship we're talking about today, the USS Akron, had a capacity of six point five million cubic feet. So this is a big ass airship. It's it's huge. Yeah. And in uh, 1923, the U.S. flew the USS Shenandoah, which was the first helium-inflated airship. And (laughs) helium at the time was so scarce that the Shenandoah contained almost all of the world's supply. What? Yeah, it was 2.1 million cubic feet. So basically, they found all the helium they could and then put it in this airship uh, to fly it. Holy shit. Anyway, they got better at finding it as time went on. Yeah. Yeah. In the 1930s, so, you know, a couple years later, in the 1930s, the German Zeppelins were successfully competing as a means for passenger transportation. Uh, The Zeppelin company developed Graf Zeppelin, and this regularly carried passengers from Frankfurt uh, to Recife in Brazil over a period of 68 hours. So this was profitable, energy efficient, and way faster than taking an ocean liner, which would take, at the time, about four to five days. Yeah. So in 1936, the Hindenburg completed a successful season carrying passengers between Lakehurst, New Jersey, and Germany. Uh, However, I'm sure as you know, on May 6, 1937, minutes before landing, the Hindenburg burst into flames and killed 36 of the 97 people on board and uh, became the most infamous airship in history. And I'm sure you see the references all the time, the, oh, the humanity. But I feel like even though people may not know all the details about it, people recognize the name the Hindenburg. They know it's like, I think most people think it's a blimp, but it's an airship that blew up. The exact reason for that initial ignition is still debated, but one theory says that the atmospheric conditions created a lot of static that collected on the ship, and this mixed with leaking hydrogen gas that caused an ignition that rapidly grew and caused the explosion. The Hindenburg was filled with hydrogen, which is very explosive. Uh, The ship we're talking about, the Akron, was filled with helium, which is very inert, so don't have to worry about uh, it exploding.
1: I guess hydrogen is way easier to get than helium.
0: They're both fairly difficult to get. Uh, I don't know. I have never collected either myself. (laughs) Uh, I don't know what the advantage to hydrogen versus helium is. It might have, it probably was more abundant at the time. And uh, in doing research, our producer Dennis uh, found out that the US actually refused to export its helium to Germany. So maybe that's another reason that Germany had to use uh, hydrogen uh, because the US was stockpiling it for its own ships. So a few airships were still used in World War II, but you know, they gave way to advancements made in airplanes. And, you know, nowadays, airships and blimps are mainly used for advertising. They used to be passenger tours in California, but I think those ended in 2012. So it's really not a common thing anymore. Yeah. Just like uh, the bicycle with the one big wheel and the one little wheel. I mean, you might see it every now and then, but not very common. Much more common (laughs) back in the 30s. I don't know why they had the big wheel and the little wheel. Now, we got to do an episode about that. that,
1: Yeah, that's for the the bicycle disaster podcast.
0: (laughs) Bicycle disaster. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. All right, now that we're done with uh, the history of airships and blimps and hydrogen and helium, we can talk about the Akron specifically, the star of this episode. So the USS Akron was a helium-filled airship that belonged to the U.S. Navy, and it operated between September 25th, 1931 and April 4th, 1933. The Akron was the world's first purpose-built flying aircraft carrier. Uh, there were tests with launching planes from airships before this, but the Akron was specifically designed for this. Uh, you ever see Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade? Uh-huh. You remember uh, when uh, Indiana Jones punches the guy, no tickets, and then they'd have to escape the blimp or the, they oh, have to yeah. escape the airship on the yeah, plane? Yeah. It was kind of like that. They had like a little plane. Uh, actually, they actually had a hangar inside of the airship and they could launch planes out from the bottom.
1: Man, that's crazy. I guess because planes didn't have as much fuel. Right. right? It, was much,
0: it was much easier to have the airship go around and then use these planes inside of it. So the Akron would launch and recover these fighter planes. Uh, and The one I believe they used was the F-9C Sparrowhawk You know, while it was flying. Miss Bearhawk, it's not a big plane. It's like a little light biplane. It's about 20 feet long, wingspan of about 25 feet. And the Akron and her sister ship, the Macon, uh, were some of the largest flying objects ever built with a length of 785 feet. Hmm. So, I mean, they were, they were really big. So, for a comparison, a normal, like, commercial airplane that we get in, How big is that? Okay, so like a seven thirty seven, which is like a pretty common plane. It's probably the plane most people would would identify, and it's it's very it's flown by almost every airline. And depending on the model, you know, there's different trim levels. Uh, It can be anywhere from say 102 to 138 feet in length. Okay, and this is you said 700, 785. So it's like six seven thirty seven. So it's massive. Yeah, nose to tail. It's huge. Maybe it is a full cigar. So the Akron was so big that it was actually able to accommodate up to five Sparrowhawks in an internal hangar. Uh, It only actually carried three because of the way it was designed. There were some girders that created an obstruction in the hangar bay. They were going to fix this design flaw, but they never actually did before the Akron crashed. So Mm. it was designed to carry five, really only carried three. Gotcha. And at the bottom of it, it had like a T-shaped hole. And there was an arm with a trapeze bar that would lower out of the hole with a plane hooked onto it. And the plane would just detach itself and fly away again. If you've seen Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade, just like yeah. that. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, and then when the plane came back, the arm would lower again, and the plane would just hook itself onto the bar, what? and then it'd be raised it, back in. How It would fly by and just, like, get hooked onto a bar? Well, it would probably try to match speed with the blimp, or with the airship. I keep saying blimp. It would try to match speed with the airship, and then just kind of hook itself onto it. It's, it's not that different from, like, if you've ever seen pictures of, like, military aircraft refueling mid-flight, right? I guess, yeah, but it seems,
1: I always assume in modern day, they have like machines and, and computers that help make that easier than like a dude being like, I'm going to fly up to this other thing and just like grab on.
0: Yeah, well, the plane was really small. The, bo- the, like, the hook was pretty close to the pilot. Like he could see, you know, it's mm-hmm. not like he was in a cockpit and removed. It was a fairly primitive flying at the time. Okay. So, uh, like I said, they would, it would uh, attach itself onto the bar and then be raised back up into the hangar. And so an airship like this could stay airborne for days at a time. So like you said, they could go much further than like a, a small plane could on its own. So the Navy would use them to get close to enemy territory and the fighter planes could be launched to scout closer and then come back and report. Hmm. So like I said, these were small planes. They weren't necessarily designed for too much combat, but I guess they could if they had to. So the skeleton of the Akron was made out of this new alloy called Duralumin, which was a type of like hardened aluminum alloy. Mm-hmm. Uh so typically the frame of an airship were like giant triangles uh that were single girder trusses we're going to get into a little bit of structural engineering here. Yeah. So like, normally they were giant triangles that were single girder trusses with radial wire bracing but the Akron's frames were giant rings that were self-supporting and made the airship heavier but more durable gotcha. which was pretty important because the navy had lost two other airships due to in-flight breakup so they really wanted it to be safe. Yeah. Another big difference in the Akron was that instead of having one keel that ran along the airship, like most airships at the time, it had three that ran along the entire length of the airship with walkways on them. So it's like basically three long walkways that supported the structure inside of the Akron. Gotcha. And so just like it's a big, I guess, cigar shape,
1: right? But then there's Mm -hmm. like a little below it is like a little box or something where the planes and passengers
0: are. Um, correct. Uh, the planes, you know, they had, uh, an internal hangar that had a, a T-shaped hole in the bottom of the, of the the airship. And then separate from that was like the little, which you would consider the box where yeah. like in, again, like in the last crusade where the people are hanging out. Yeah. Uh, but of course, uh, on the inside, you know, people could also walk through these, um, these walkways if necessary.
1: we will probably put a picture of it up on, uh, yeah, well, uh,
0: we'll, we'll there, there's actually, you know, it, there's, there's not great photos, but there are photos. You know, they did exist at the time in, yeah. the, in the 30s. Add black box down pod on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, a couple other things about this ship: the fins on the tail were mounted entirely on the outside of the ship uh, because of the strength provided by the frames and the placement of the keels and the use of the helium. The eight engines were mounted on the inside of the airship, uh, which created better streamline for the ship. So basically, it's like the engines were on the inside connected to propellers on the outside gotcha. of the airship. Originally, each engine turned a two-bladed 16-foot wooden propeller that could swivel from a vertical configuration to horizontal. They were able to provide reverse thrust, making you know movement in all four directions possible. Uh, however, by 1933, two of the wooden propellers were replaced by three-bladed metal propellers in order to increase performance, and this was the standard construction for the Macon, which was the sister ship. Uh, the Akron could carry up to 20,700 gallons of gasoline and had a range of about... Just under 7,000 miles. So it could go far. It could go really far. It had a cruising speed of 55 knots, which is 63 miles per hour. Hmm. So, you know, we said that it has a range of 6,840 miles. A normal flight from New York to LA is uh, just under 2,500 miles. Hmm. Yeah. So it could fly New York to LA and back, and then like halfway back again. Damn. Uh, and because the ship was so big when they were constructing it, they had to build a special hangar in Akron, Ohio, which is oh. why it's called the Akron. <laughs> Uh, for, and that's in that in that hangars where they built the Akron and the Macon. With everything going on in the world, it's more important than ever to care for one another. Whether it's a friend you see every day or family you don't get to see enough, uh, we can all feel isolated or overwhelmed during the current crisis. So check up on your friends, check in on your loved ones, but also make sure you check up on yourself. Give a call, reach out, offer your support, and get their support in return. We want remind reminder that if you need support, you can reach out to NAMI, the nation's largest grassroots mental health organization, to get support for yourself and learn how to support others, too. Visit NAMI.org or call 1-800-950-NAMI. That's 1-800-950-6264. You are not alone. Okay, so that's enough background uh, about the construction and the history of the Akron. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about some other incidents that the Akron had been through. Okay. Uh, just to provide a little more context on uh, on what was going on. So on February 22nd, 1932, the Akron was about to take part in a naval exercise, but it had an accident. Uh, when the airship was leaving the hangar, the mooring lines on the tail became loose. The tail caught the wind and struck the ground, resulting in major damage to the lower fin and some fitting being torn from the main frame. And it wasn't certified as airworthy until later in the spring and flew again on April 28th. So basically it was out of commission for two months. Uh, as a result of this accident, a better way to secure the tail in high winds was developed uh, and is described as a turntable with a walking beam on track, powered by electric mine locomotives. It's really complicated. This is something we'll probably have to post a photo of uh, on on social media just because it's really difficult to try to describe how it worked. But okay. it made it more secure. They made it better. I got that. They did make it better, <laughs> yeah. And this next one really isn't an incident, but it, it could have almost led to one. So like I said, it came back into service on April 28th. Uh, and s- shortly thereafter, they decided to test something that they called a spy basket which sounds like super cool, right? Sounds very cool. The spy basket was a small container that looked like a small airplane fuselage that was suspended underneath the airship. So what their thought was, like they could try to hide the Akron like above the clouds or in the clouds and they would drop this little spy basket down like just under the clouds (laughs) and they could like have someone in it. And uh, like, so the whole ship would stay out of sight and they just have someone in the spy basket looking around. I guess it's kind of like a... A submarine in a periscope, but opposite. You're yeah. hiding in the cloud looking down.
1: I just know I would not want to be the dude in the spy basket.
0: Well, let me tell you what happened to the spy basket when they tested it, Chris. <laughs> um, so, so during the first test, they decided it might be a little dangerous. So instead of putting someone in it, they decided to put sandbags in the basket.
1: Okay. Smart.
0: Yeah. So they lowered the spy basket. And when it was in place, it began to oscillate so violently that it put the whole ship in danger. It started swinging side to side so hard that it reached the midway point on the height of the ship. Oh, my God. So it was like a fucking pendulum. Right. It was like just swaying back and forth. Uh, they decided to improve the design of the basket with a vertical stabilizer to prevent that from happening. But they actually never used the spy basket again. They, they, yeah. they probably decided that uh, they, didn't, they didn't need to do that again. So on May 8th, 1932, the Akron departed from Lakehurst, New Jersey for a coast-to-coast flight. Uh, I flew down to Georgia, then across the southern states, and reached Camp Kearney in San Diego, California on the morning of May 11th. Uh, however, the camp was not equipped with trained ground handlers or the specialized mooring equipment, which made this landing pretty dangerous. By the mm. time they started the process of getting the airship grounded, the helium had been warmed by the sun, which was starting to create some lift, and the Akron became uncontrollable. So in order to prevent a nose stand, the mooring cable was cut, and the Akron began to rise, and it started pulling men up into the air, you know, the men who were holding onto the mooring lines. Oh. Uh, Four men were pulled upwards, but one let go at about 15 feet up, and he broke his arm. Uh, and then the other three kept holding on. Oh. When, the, when the Akron climbed above 500 feet, two men, uh, aviation carpenters mate, third class Robert Edsel, and apprentice seaman Nigel Hinton, they just couldn't hold on any longer, and they fell to their deaths. Whoa. Uh, the th- yeah, really, really sad. Uh, the third man, apprentice seaman C.M. Bud Cowart, held on for over an hour as the airship climbed to 2,000 feet. And eventually, he was safely pulled on board. Holy uh, shit! Yeah, the Akron successfully moored later that day at Camp Kearney. and believe it or not, the incident's captured on film. What uh, you can watch, you can see it on YouTube. You can see the the men getting pulled up into the air and uh, and falling. Oh man! Yeah, it's uh, it's really uh, it's really grim, and uh, they have an interview with the guy who uh, they pull onto the onto the airship as well. So like it, like this this is a weird time because. You know film and cameras and all these things are new technologies, and obviously, I guess, since this was a military um endeavor, they had cameras around, and they so this was actually captured. It's wild to think now you know everyone has a cell phone camera, anything happens. you feel like you get a million different angles or something, but it's it's really uh it's really extraordinary that they had a camera and did yeah. actually capture this on film. That's super crazy uh so Akron had actually one other small incident on august twenty second nineteen thirty two where the tail fin collided with a beam while it was being towed, uh, a beam in the hangar. Uh, The repair was quickly made, and the Akron continued to have training flights over the next several months. And it actually flew over the inauguration of Franklin uh, D. Roosevelt on March 4th, 1933. Hmm. So the next month, uh, on the evening of April 3rd, 1933, the Akron cast off to operate along the coast of New England, and uh, it was assisting in the calibration of radio direction finder stations. So, the Akron began to encounter severe weather. As it passed over Barnegat Light, New Jersey, around 10 p.m., uh, wind gusts picked up and began to strike the airframe with a lot of force. At about 12.30 a.m., the Akron caught an updraft, then immediately hit a downdraft. Commander McCord ordered for full speed ahead and given order to drop the ballast, you know, in order to try to give uh, the Akron some lift. Mm-hmm. You know, ballast is just like, it can be a number of things, it's just like extra weight on the ship. Uh, so, like, you picture, like, a hot air balloon, you know, how they have sandbags around mm-hmm. That's ballast on a hot air balloon. So okay. they dropped their ballast to try to get some lift to to fight this downdraft. So when they dropped the ballast and the elevator being set to nose up, the Akron began to halt its descent, but it continued to hit more downdrafts, forcing it down further and further while it was still pitched up between 12 and 25 degrees. So while it's still being forced down by these downdrafts, the Akron signaled landing stations uh, to try to get the crew to prepare to you know land because they knew they were going so- down. So the wind's just, like, pushing it down, essentially? Right, right. They're, they're, they're trying to fight it, but the wind is just overcoming uh, everything that they're doing. And uh, so it's while it's being hit by these strong gusts, the Akron became uncontrollable because the rudder cables ended up being torn away. Oh, so the things that control, the, like the steering wheel, essentially got ripped off? Right, like, you know, they, they, just, they, they had no more control. So in, in an airplane, like we've talked about in some others uh, of our episodes, it'd be like if they lost their hydraulic fluid. Like, they can try to move their controls, but it's not affecting anything. So the gondola, so you remember you talked about like that uh, compartment where the, the crew is? Mm-hmm. The, that's the gondola holding the main flight crew was still a few hundred feet high off the ocean when the lower fin of the tail struck the water and tore away from the ship. Uh, then the Akron, of course, rapidly broke apart and sunk into the Atlantic. Because remember, this, this thing was so huge, like would we say 780 feet long, the tail hit and the gondola was still several hundred feet up. Oh, man. Yeah, terrible tragedy. Um, A nearby German merchant ship, the Phoebus, saw the lights descending from the sky uh, at about 1223 a.m., and it altered course to go investigate. And at 1255 a.m., they pulled four men out of the water, uh, one of which, unfortunately, never uh, regained consciousness and died uh, aboard the Phoebus. The crew of the Phoebus searched the waters for five more hours, but did not find any more survivors. How far away from, like, land are they out here? So I'm not sure exactly how far off the coast they were. We couldn't find that in any of the research. But uh, our producer, Dennis, found that where they crashed, the the water depth was 120 feet. So it wasn't like super close. Right. It wasn't super close, but it wasn't like out over the middle of the ocean or anything. Yeah. But they were fortunate that there was uh, a ship nearby that was able to pull a few people from the water. Gotcha. Uh, The Navy sent out a blimp, actually, to join the search and to try to help find people. Mm -hmm. But that blimp crashed. What? Yeah. And it killed two other men. Uh, when it crashed. Most of the casualties on the Akron were because of drowning or hypothermia. The crew actually were not issued life jackets, and there was only one lifeboat on board that they couldn't deploy in time before the crash. So 73 out of the 76 people on board died. Oh, man. Yeah, which is twice as many deaths as the Hindenburg, which makes this the deadliest airship crash in history. Oh, but
1: so is, I guess the Hindenburg was more I guess it was cap. The crash was captured on
0: camera, right? And we have like um, the the radio person talking saying, about it. Yeah, yeah, the reporter describing it, and it was a, it was a whole thing. This you know happened in the middle of the night. It was a military incident. You said they launched a little blimp to go look for him.
1: Yeah. So why did that
0: crash? Was it the same thing? The, also, the wind? All, yeah. Also weather. Uh. So I don't know if you remember at the at the top of the show I mentioned that one of the people on board the Akron at the time was uh, a rear admiral in the Navy, uh, William Moffitt. And he was one of the biggest proponents of the use of rigid airships by the U.S. Navy. And uh, his death on board the Akron pretty much signaled the end of the pursuit of rigid airships by the U.S. Navy. He was the biggest proponent, and then he died in one. So, of course, nobody's going to want to pursue that anymore. Yeah. Uh, Which is, uh, you know, plus, I mean, that coupled, the writing was probably already on the wall. Um, Aircraft technology or fixed-wing aircraft technology was taken off so much faster that um and that's a pun <laughs> it's, it wasn't intended as one but uh yeah so that uh that the, i think the the niche that airships could serve was pretty much uh, at an end anyway yeah
1: i mean i know i wouldn't want to be an airship or blimp pilot or passenger Basically. or even look
0: at one or <laughs> even the same the same space as one yeah so um Franklin D Roosevelt who had just you know had just been inaugurated the month before uh, commented on the lost uh the loss of the Akron and called it a national disaster. And uh, a couple years later in 1935 the Akron sister ship the Macon which we've talked about a few times mm-hmm. it also crashed in a storm at sea. But uh it had life jackets on board due to the Akron crash. Oh and when the Macon crashed only two people died. Oh well, that's like, so the life jackets make all the difference. Right. I mean, if you're going to crash in the ocean, you need you need to have a life jacket. Uh, and because of the, you know, the Akron crash, the Macon crashed. And like I said, airplane technology was really uh, advancing much faster. Uh, this is pretty much the end of flying aircraft carriers and the use of airships in general by the uh, U.S. Navy. I've seen some other proposals to use airplanes like big airplanes as uh flying aircraft carriers for small scouts mm-hmm. and reconnaissance planes but it's really not a very feasible idea it's, it's it's kind of science fiction at this point i wonder how many airships and blimps were decommissioned
1: or just crashed <laughs> you know like it seems like yeah we should just uh, stop making those because they're all crashing
0: <laughs> right it seems like every single one we've talked about in this episode crashed yeah. even like the ancillary ones it's uh yeah. I mean, it was it was it was a, it was a wild time. I'm sure aircraft were also very unreliable at the time. You know, it was still all very new technology. They were trying to um, they were trying to innovate and figure out. I mean, if you think about it, the Wright brothers had just flown in 1903. Uh, this was 30 years later when this yeah. happened. And so this is it, a
1: big old ship,
0: right? Uh, and oh, one one last little historic footnote that uh, I wanted to add on here: within one day of the crash, songwriter Bob Miller wrote and recorded a song called "The Crash of the Akron." which you can actually listen to I uh, uh, Dennis found it on YouTube wow. and uh, it's uh it's interesting to listen to to think that uh, it was it was such an iconic event at the time the FDR commented on it and uh, someone actually wrote and recorded a song uh, about the incident yeah I mean I feel like
1: common knowledge don't even know of it I mean I hadn't never heard of it
0: yeah this was a I, I, it's, I feel like it's something that's faded from memory for the most part yeah uh, it was it was it was an incident that I was not terribly familiar with either, but I thought was uh, interesting because it's a little change of pace from all the other stuff that we talk about here, and uh, it's interesting to see what could have been, right? Like you always think about these like steampunk futures, and there's always airships flying around and zeppelins. You're like, well, what if the world had gone that way? And uh, you see in our reality why it didn't. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, was there anything that could have been done to prevent it? Like, was it just not being out in the weather?
0: Yeah, they probably should have had um, better standards for when they could fly and when they couldn't fly. The weather Uh ultimately is what did them in. Uh, They could have saved more lives if they had uh, life jackets, if the crew had easier access to life jackets, and if there were more lifeboats on board. So to mitigate the crash, they should not have been flying in inclement weather like that. Mm -hmm. And then in order to keep people from dying as a result of the crash, they should have had life jackets and lifeboats. Hmm. which you know proved out when the making crashed they had life jackets and was it was far less deadly so they fixed something right they fixed something they did learn that's always the thing that we try to dig into on these episodes is you know what was learned and what changed as a result of all of this to make future flights safer yeah so that about does it for this episode of Black Box Down. I uh, want to thank everyone for listening, and I also want to remind everyone uh, to give us a rating wherever you listen to podcasts and uh, tell a friend about Black Box Down if you in, if you enjoy these. Maybe maybe you know someone else who will too, and have them uh, subscribe by searching for Black Box Down wherever they download podcasts. Thanks so much, Chris. Um, yeah. this, I, I feel like this was a this was a. A change, a change of pace, but we'll be back to normal next week with uh, something that's much more terrifying for our, our oh. modern-day listeners. <laughs> yeah.
1: People don't have to worry about their blimps crashing.
0: <laughs> but what if they did? It's air, an airship, Chris. Airship. Uh, yeah. Well, either. <laughs> <laughs> I guess both are, both would be tragic. Yeah. If you can't get enough of me and Chris talking about airplanes, you should go to roosterteeth.com Thursday mornings at 11 a.m., where we uh, play video games involving planes airports anything related to aviation and uh, we talk about whatever's on our minds so just go to rishdeeth.com 11 a.m central time on thursdays to check out our uh, gameplay live streams